Hello and welcome to Harvest Church Podcast. Harvest Church is based in sunny Durban, South Africa. We are a family of believers who are passionate about Jesus. We really hope this message inspires you today. I just, uh, just an agreement with what John has prayed. I'm reminded of Miles Monroe's statement that prayer is earthly license for heavenly interference. And even as Rich said earlier, we take our eyes off the natural where there's been an invasion of Russia into Ukraine. And we uh, realize that in a season of pandemics and war that we get to be a people of faith. And in the midst of this, we get to invite heaven to invade earth. And so we, we just, uh, Lord, we do just thank you just for all of heaven just to move into action for the benefit of people around the globe, that your glory will come from this, Lord, not the impressive nature of a nation or an individual or a political leader, but because of your presence, your power, your person, and your spirit, we pray that you will take center stage in this as you come as King of Kings, Lord of Lords, a living God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And we pray great grace to everyone affected. So we're in a, in a series called Predecide, and we're looking at better choices that we can live life to the fullest of what God's called us to. And today I want to pick up on, and I want to pick up on an important quality. It's one of the most important spiritual qualities that unlocks the greatest potential, not only in the trajectory of your year in 2022, but also in just your life in general. And I hope I've got your interest with that, because this quality is key to your spiritual strength. It's key to your ministry impact. It's key to your physical health. It's key to your relational intimacy. It's key to your financial potential. It's key to you accomplishing your goals. Who, want to know, who wants to know what this quality is? You should be saying me. Well, I'm saying me. Leanne is saying on my behalf. George wants to know what that is. Um, let me first tell you what it's not. The quality is not based on your background doesn't matter where you've come from. It's not based on your appearance. doesn't matter what uh, secular society thinks that you should or shouldn't have. It's not based on your education, that you've had to jump through the hoops to, to be accepted. It's not based on any of these things. This quality is based on and is your consistency. Turn to someone near you and say, it's your consistency. You see, your consistency has the potential to impact your life more than you can ever imagine. And some of you are thinking, well, then I'm in big trouble because you know that this is an area that a lot of us battle with. We can be incredibly inconsistent. We can be inconsistent in what we eat. We can be inconsistent in how we exercise. We can be inconsistent with how we save. We can be inconsistent with how we pray and spend time with God and spend time imparting into our family. We can be inconsistent just to getting to church on time consistently, and it's wonderful to see how much the service has filled up during worship. I'm not uh, condemning anyone in here. Um, but the thing is this, often the only thing we're consistent with is being inconsistent. Some, did someone call me? No. Okay, I'm just imagining that. Uh, it's the Lord. <laughs> Lord, it was rich, not me. If you find yourself in that same place where you're really wanting to do the right thing, you're wanting to practice spiritual disciplines, you're wanting to be more intentional, but you struggle to follow through, I want to say you're in good company. 
I get to tell you that because I get to meet with pastors on a regular basis. And yes, I'm one of them. And there are challenges that we face that are embarrassing, that are inconsistencies in our lives that we don't often get to share. But uh, I can be vulnerable with you today. So let me ask you a quick question. What do you think that a pastor should do with his or her spouse? And before you can answer, we're talking about pastors and we're in church. So let me tell you what the answer is. The answer is prayer. We should be praying together. I mean, that seems like wisdom, right, uh, for pastors. But so often, we're inconsistent in that. And when I say inconsistent, I can, I'm meaning we, it's, it's non-existent sometimes. And uh, I know, and I got it the wrong way around. I apologize, Leanne. It wasn't recorded. But I, say, I said in our earlier days, well, in seasons back in marriage, that um, the problem was, and I said Leanne, but I did, I did qualify that I made a mistake there. The problem is me, because often Leanne would come to me and she'd say, hey, George, we need to be praying. And you know, I, and my response is, and we can have a long list of excuses for inconsistency. Even we can use what we think is consistency to excuse our inconsistency. I could say, well, you know, I've been at a prayer meeting, I've prayed at church, I've prayed with leaders and life groups and people needing prayer afterwards, and, and I prayed personally, I just need a bit of a time out, you know. And, uh, and then a challenge arises, and you quickly start praying again, and it goes, and you can just drift off. And we all face these things that we can be a bit inconsistent and so if you find yourself in that place and saying, hey, you know, I'm struggling with this. There is inconsistency in my life, and I'm not seeing the fruit of what consistency looks like that you're speaking about, George. I want to tell you this comfort in knowing that when we turn to Scripture and we find the person who predominantly wrote the most of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he was challenged in this very area in terms of humanity. It says in Romans 7 verse 15, and if we can put it up on the screen, and then we'll jump to 18 to 19. He says, I don't really understand myself. I don't know if that ministers to some of you here, to know that even Paul didn't understand himself. Sometimes people say, how could you do that or think that and behave like that? And it's like, I don't even know. I, I don't understand myself at times. And he said, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Verse 18, I want to do what is right, but I can't. And I want to do what is good, but I don't. And I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. And so there's this inconsistency that he seems to struggle with as we're reading in chapter 7. And we can find ourselves in the same place where we're falling short. If, you, if that's you, this message is for you. The good news is it doesn't end in chapter 7, as we'll see later. But it transitions into chapter 8, that when we step out of our humanity and you step into just the divine life that we have in the Spirit, knowing there's no condemnation, but there's grace for the journey ahead, that we can know that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God, and that draws us into the fullness that He calls us into. But that doesn't take us away from having to walk out the reality of our humanity, because we've got to intentionally choose to follow after and live and walk in the life of the Spirit. That's what chapter 8 challenges us with. But if you find yourself with that inconsistency, that challenge, this message is for you. And we're speaking about, and the title is, The Power of Consistency. So I want to pray now, because this is a practical message. Uh, message. There's some handles and thoughts that I want you to grasp, but you've got to walk it out and journey it with your spouse, with your family, with the Lord, as you go beyond the service. So, Father, I pray that as we spend time in your word, that we will just be ministered to by the power of your word, by your presence, Holy Spirit, by the working of your grace in our lives. I thank you that you teach us, encourage us, 
inspire us, and that you move, move us to live God-honoring lives that are consistently empowered by you, Jesus, and by your Spirit to glorify you. And we pray that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So we're in this series, and we call Predecide, and we're looking at making good decisions. My mom sent me a joke. Um, she saw it on Facebook. No, I lie. She couldn't send it. She doesn't know how to work Facebook that well, but she told me, which of you posted it, and I found it on your page. Um, we're watching. No, it was a, another friend, not a harvester, but it says this. Everything happens for a reason. Sometimes the reason is you stupid and make bad decisions. We're talking about making good decisions. I clarified last week, none of you are stupid, but some of the decisions you're making are debatable. I'm just going to leave it there. And we know that the direction of our lives are being determined by the decisions that we are making. And so either you are making your decisions or your decisions are making you. And you need to look and you need to weigh that up and you need to assess that in your own space and place. Because uh, the challenge is, some of us, we're not great decision makers. And this whole series about pre-deciding is saying, you know what, in the moment, I don't make the best decisions. So I'm not going to wait to be caught in the moment or some situation in the future. I'm going to pre-decide. I'm going to decide now. So when I hit that moment, I'm not thinking, well, you know, if I do a little bit of this or a little bit of that, or if I look at a little, I'm not thinking that. I've pre-decided, and I know how I'm going to respond in that moment, and it's in a way that's going to glorify God because it's empowered by His grace, and that's what I'm already partnering with and participating in. And so we are pre-deciding, and we saw this statement, this scenario. When faced with a certain scenario, whatever that might be, you know what scenarios are facing you. When faced with a certain scenario, I have pre-decided, based on biblical principles, the promises of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit, I have pre-decided that I'm going to take this specific action because I'm participating in and I'm partnering with grace in the moment. I have pre-decided this. I'm ready and I'm armed and I'm dangerous for the kingdom. I'm not a danger to myself because I'm unprepared. Last week, we spoke about being ready. And we, we looked at that we can make these resolutions as we go forward in these uh, days. We can have these values that we live by that remind us. They're milestones that remind us of who we are and we can return to it. And this is what we, we looked at. Last week, we looked at this. I am, we know that God is the great I am. It's his attributes. We get to um, live uh, out of the attributes of God. So we are Say this with me. We are ready, we are consistent, we are devoted, we are generous, we are faithful, and we are finishers. So we are pre-decided. And here's the key. It's not on your own. It's with God's help. We have pre-decided with God's help, I'm going to be consistent. Because in our humanity, as Paul has already revealed, I can't. I'm vacillating. I'm double-minded. I'm unstable in all my ways. But when I stand, and I, I don't stand in my own self, but I stand in the Spirit, I am sure and I'm ready. I've got a firm foundation. I can see with clarity. I can set my forehead like flint, and I can press into all that God has, knowing that He leads me in victory and triumphal procession. Amen? So why does consistency matter? Let's put the next slide up. Consistency matters because successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. Successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. And successful people do over and over again what other people only do now and again. And it's not what we do occasionally that matters. It's what we do consistently that makes a difference. 
So you need to look and you need to say, what does this look like in my life? And I want to show you um, through Scripture, uh, and as we look at that, how consistency, how we can start to cultivate it and grow in that in ways that honor God. Now, if you uh, want an Old Testament example, one of the best examples I can find, and just a phenomenal um, uh, leader to look at, is Daniel. How many of you have done a character study on Daniel? I want to encourage you to do so. I mean, Daniel was consistent morally. He was consistent relationally. He was consistent spiritually. He was consistent in his leadership. He was consistent in every way. This marked him. This wasn't a man that you looked at and he was blown this way and that way by the wind. He was steady, he was sure, he was confident, he was decisive, and it was all flowing from the values instilled in his heart from the heart of God. And so there was something consistent about him. And let me give you a bit of background, because around 605 BC, what happened was Babylon invaded Jerusalem, and uh, in that moment, what they would do is they'd abduct um, a lot of young boys, they would take the best and the brightest around the age of 12, and they would look to indoctrinate them. And they would look to feed them the food they ate and teach them their education to impress their values upon them so that they would start to become ambassadors and even leaders of the um, expanding of that culture. And it would be a humiliation to the nation they came from, but not to the God that Daniel came from, and we'll see this as it unfolds. But King Darius, king of Babylon, he noticed there was something about one of these young men, and it was this man, Daniel. There was something that was distinct and distinguished him from everyone else. He stood out, and it was because he displayed unusual consistency. We're going to see this in a moment. And the the reason that it stood out is because consistency is um, it's attractive. Consistency is contagious. Consistency is a foundational building block of leaders. And King Darius picked this up and he said, hey, this kid's got it and I want to promote him. Now the leaders around King Darius, they were a little bit threatened. They said, we don't want this Hebrew person taking our spot. And so they thought, you know what, we're going to set him up. And what they did is when you want to set someone up, you go and you find some other sources, and they went and they went to his old crew or maybe some old girlfriends, and they said, we need some dirt on this guy. They wanted to expose him. Maybe they went to his social media feed. How many of you know you don't need someone to expose you? A lot of your posts are exposing yourself. Um, uh, What you tweeted, what you posted, what you wore, what you didn't wear, uh, I'll stop it there. But um, you see, they tried to find faults in his character, But oddly, something else happens as they're looking into Daniel. Daniel 6 verse 4, and the New Living Translation says this, they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. I mean, they did their research. These are men with influence and resources, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. How crazy is that? Goes on to say, he was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. I mean, look at those qualities. He's faithful, always responsible, completely trustworthy. Lord, please rise up a Daniel in our political arena. Amen. Just offering a quick prayer as we, as we are speaking. And, I, and I'm sure that he is, as I make that light-hearted statement. But what do we need to have to have these qualities? What do you and I need to, to, to do to have these in our life? I want to say we need consistency. They're the fruit of a consistent, ongoing, singular, devoted pursuit of the heart of God. 
These are the fruit of those things. And so these enemies, they didn't want Daniel to get the job. And so they thought, the only thing we can attack, we can't find any fault with this man other than he is so devoted to God. So we're going to attack his very devotion to God. I mean, what a plan. And so these guys went to the king, and they said, hey, King Darius, may you live forever. If you read the commentaries, they were flattering him. They were buttering up, and he started to feel good with that. And they said, you know what? Let's not pray to any other gods for 30 days because you are so great. Let's put out a decree that we're only going to pray to you and that anyone who fails that, let's throw them to the lions. And, and uh, the king was flattered. Here's the thing. This is a sharp man. I mean, he's taking over empires. This is a man that can discern things. He's recognized the influence on Daniel's life. Yet flattery can take any of us out at the knees if we will bow to it. It'll cause you to bow to it. And so this flattery gets him, and he says, yes, I'm all of that. Good decision. Let's do it. And he makes the decree. And he says, anyone who prays to any other god for the next 30 days, it's the lion's den. So what do you think? This man of consistency, faithful, always um, resolute in what he's doing, does in the midst of that moment. Daniel 6 verse 10, watch the consistency in his relationship with God despite the external ramifications, situation, and scenario. There was an internal value system he was living by that he had predecided. Watch what happens. It says, verse 10, but when Daniel learned that this law had been signed, he didn't crumble, he didn't go into fear, he wasn't wrapped up in anxiety. It says he went home and knelt down as usual. This is an unusual circumstance, but I'm going to behave in a usual way because I'm living in singular pursuit of the heart of God. And as usual in his upstairs room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he didn't need to hide. He wanted to model his faith in a faithful God. And he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. Daniel did what he always did because he consistently, ongoingly pursued the heart of God. Isn't that beautiful? We often think David was a man after God's own heart, but there's something born out of consistency that we see revealed in the heart of Daniel. And so the leaders found out that he had disobeyed orders, and they said, this is our moment. And uh, they went to King Darius. We can put up the next slide. And he had to be thrown to the lions. Now, here's the thing. King Darius, who has just a moment ago thought, I am this God, flattered to this place. It says he, he tried everything in his power for a day to change the scenario. He didn't want to lose Daniel. Daniel was too valuable. It says that night he didn't actually sleep, but he fasted because he knew that he had to keep his decree. He couldn't change it. So he throws Daniel into the lion's den. And it says that an angel closed the mouth of the lions. I wish you could see that Kalahari black-maned male lion in that picture and the look of bewilderment on its face as it encounters the fierceness of the host of heaven carrying out God's will. And so in the midst of that, that's what we see. And you, you, you're thinking, this is game over. Um, don't pass, go, don't collect 200 rand. You're thinking, Daniel, you're on your way out. But this isn't what happens and then in verse 19, we read this. I don't have it to go on the screen, so you can just leave that picture. It says, very early the next morning, the king hasn't slept. He's been fasting. This man who thinks he's a god. Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God. I love that. Eh? A moment ago, he thought he was God. But because of the faith and the consistency of a man under fire who's choosing to place his trust in God, something's happened to him through the night where he's running, not even knowing if Daniel is saved yet. 
but recognizing that his God is the living God. Was your God, whom you serve so faithfully, able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel, verse 22, if we can put it up, of this passage. Thank you. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. If you continue to read further, it says at the end of this that, um, that King Darius, he made another decree. His next decree in this moment is that, that Daniel's God is the living God. He will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His rule will never end. He rescues, he saves, he performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. I mean, what a shift in this man's heart. But let's come back to verse 23. It says, he was lifted from the den. No wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. What sort of trust is that? And when did Daniel learn to trust in God like that? And I want to suggest he didn't learn this in the lion's den. He learned this in the prayer closet. His faith wasn't built in the battle. His faith was built on his knees as he consistently sought the heart of God three times a day, day after day, week after week, month after month. And yet some of us, we can be so insecure and we can feel unsure and we can entertain doubt in our relationship with God. We see something in Daniel's life, an attribute we can, we can take hold of, is that Daniel prayed consistently and we, we tend to pray occasionally. And it's not what we do consistently that makes the difference. Oh, sorry, it's not what we do occasionally that makes the difference. It's what we do consistently that makes that difference. So how do we grow in it? And I want to say there are three ways that we grow in it, and I'm going to have a sip of water as I get you to repeat them to the, pe- to the person next to you. How do we grow in consistency? Next slide. Say that to the person on your left, your right, and then yourself. I hope that was the best sermon that you heard all day when you preached it to yourself. Don't be long-winded in your preaching. It's back to me. So number one, how do we grow in consistency? We start with the why, and yes, I stole it from Simon Sinek. We start with the why. And as we look at this why, why, we ask the question, why did Daniel pray consistently? I want to say it was never about an outward show. He wasn't like the Pharisees wanting to stand on the street corner and say, look how eloquent I am, and look how spiritual I am, and look how long my prayers are. No, Daniel went to his closet privately. And he prayed three times a day, kneeling down, because he was devoted to God. It wasn't born out of show, it was born out of devotion. And we need to say, what is the why that is being born out of our devotion to God? And, and we, as we're progressing into a new year, how many of us started the, the year with New Year's resolutions? Let's be honest, hands up. How many of us have maintained those resolutions? Either we're not honest and, um, or we're all doing very badly on resolutions, which I fully understand, because we do tend to fail in our res- resolutions. And one of the reasons is this, it's because they're born of the result of our desire and not our devotion. The resolutions are born of the result of our desire, not our devotion. And you might have a desire, but just having a desire doesn't mean that you have a why. But when you discover your why, your why pulls out devotion. 
You live for that thing. Many of you would have heard about Mother Teresa. We've shared that before, where she used to step over the, the poor and the needy and eventually to go and teach. And eventually she got sick and tired of stepping over them. And she discovered her why was to make a difference. And she said, I'm never going to step over another one of these people. I'm going to serve them and love them and minister to them. And out of her why, devotion was birthed. And so we need to discover what the why is. And when you look at New Year's resolutions, just deciding to do something on the 31st of January, because you've got a desire somewhere in there, that's not gonna be a compelling why. You've gotta have a real why that's gonna hold you through. Because you can't just say, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna eat like I wanna eat, and then when the 1st of January rolls around, I'm gonna be really good, and then 1st of January comes, and you know, then it's salad. No, you're never gonna hold. You're gonna go back to the chocolate cake and the chocolate ice cream and the chocolate cocoa pops three days later, because that's not a compelling why. So you've got to say, what is this thing? What am I created for? The purpose. You've got to discover that in the heart of God. Because when you discover the real why, you're not waiting for the, the 31st of December or the 1st of January to roll in. If your doctor tells you in October, you know, that you've got to quit smoking, otherwise you're not going to make it very long, suddenly you've got a compelling why. And you don't wait two months for January 1st to roll in. You stop there and then. If you want to grow in consistency, why is so important? And maybe you, you're saying, I want to be, and this is your desire, closer to God, and that's a great thing. Maybe you're saying, I want to have a better marriage. I'm saying, yes. Maybe you're saying, I want to have financial stability. Beautiful. I want to quit this bad habit. Yes, you need to do that, and those are great. But the question is, what is your why in wanting to do those things? Because if you say, no, I want to be closer to God because I'm a Christian and I go to church and I need to do that. No, no. That's not a compelling why. If you say to me, it's because I'm sick and tired of the devil distracting me because I believe God created me for his glory and I want to serve him wholeheartedly with everything I am so that generations to come will know his goodness and his grace that is at work in me and my generations and on display. I'm just going to say that's a compelling why. If you say, no, I want to um, have my marriage become a little bit better because I'm not enjoying my spouse and it's going badly, ah, that's not a... That's not a compelling why. If you're saying no, because I want to honor God and my spouse with the vows that I made and I want my children to see it and the generations to come and my grandchildren to see it because we modeled out something different to our culture and we showed them what a marriage of faith and a people of faith can build and cultivate and leave as a blessing for generations. I want to say that's a, that's a compelling why. If you're starting to say, you know what, my finances, I just want to have more money because I want more nice shoes or shirts or, or car or whatever, well, that's not a compelling why. If you say no because I'm tired of living paycheck to paycheck, I want to be able to live within the margins to give beyond. I want to be generous. I want to be a blessing, be blessed to be the blessing I'm called to be. Well, that's a, a compelling why. That's going to pull out devotion. If you're saying, well, well I'm in that place where I, I don't want to be doing this bad habit over and over, why don't you want to do it? Well, because it's time-consuming and it makes me feel bad. No, well, that's not a good enough why. If you're saying, no, this habit has been going over in my generations and it's a paddle and it's cyclical and it's repeating and it's repeating and it's repeating and I want to stand up as a man or a woman of God and I want to make a change and I want to let blessing flow where curse once stood. Well, that's a compelling why. And so we've got to discover the why, because the why is going to move you from just a desire to a devotion born out in pursuit of the heart of God. It's going to be a blessing to those around you. And no, I'm not talking about willpower. I'm talking about why power, why this matters in the heart of God. 
and why this matters to me and why this matters to this world that we're living in. And so it brings out devotion. And so there's something about consistency and we need it because when this king came to, da to Daniel and he said, here's the decree, stop praying. Daniel went to prayer. You know why? Because he was consistent. And yes, you're gonna be faced with obstacles and resistance. And yes, some of those who are closest to you, friends and family, they're gonna lack trust and they're not gonna have the faith that you have and they're gonna resist you. But you have gotta step beyond that and step into what God is saying to you. Because here's the thing, no matter the obstruction, no matter the hindrance or the resistance, when you know your why, you will find a way. Because Jesus is the way. When you find your why in him, he makes the way. When you know your why, you'll find a way. I think we got that slide. You can put it up. So we're talking about the why. You need to discover your why. And uh, often we, we find maybe, and we're speaking, about, uh, we're speaking about marriage, maybe the reason that we're not praying together or praying with our kids is because we didn't know and we didn't uh, really feel that there was a why. There wasn't really a need, you know. Things were going well. But we looked at this last week and we realized that there's a devil and he's on the prowl. He wants to rob, kill, destroy. That's his, uh, that's his mandate if you look at it. But Jesus comes to bring life and life and abundance. And so as a husband and as a wife, we need to realize this, that we need to be seeking God together for our marriage and our generations, as I've mentioned, every single day. There needs to be an intentionality. We need to pre-decide because we are coming to the realization and waking up to the fact that everything depends on the Spirit of God, the presence of God, the power of God, the grace of God, the working of God in our marriage. And we need this in the way that we're parenting and we need this in the decisions we're making for our households and we need this to live a life that's gonna glorify God if we're gonna live just beyond our own desires. We need that. The question arises with the why. Why would you ever not seek God with your spouse? He gives us this beautiful promise, our foundational scripture. It says in Proverbs 16, verse three, commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. Most of the times we're coming together in marriage, it's to complain about where we're falling short. He says, if you come to me with whatever it might be committed to me, I'm gonna establish you. What an invitation. And when you start to discover your values together in that moment as a husband and wife, when your values are clear, your decisions are easier. You're defining your why. Daniel knew his why. So let's look at the second thing. We need to start with why, and secondly, we need to plan for failure. You can say, but George, that sounds counterintuitive. We're making pre-decisions. Why would we plan to allow for failure? That seems crazy. You see, when we look at Daniel, it says he prayed three times just like he had done before. I mean, there was a consistency there, George. But I, I wanna suggest that maybe Daniel missed a prayer meeting here or there or moment with the Lord. And you might say, well, George, how can you say that? I wanna suggest he wasn't perfect. He was human. There were real challenges and situations around him. What it's saying here is there was a consistency that he returned to and he always uh, reverted back to. There was a default on the settings of his heart that was to seek God. But moments would have come when King Darius would have said, hey, you know what, I need you to stay late in this moment. Or maybe he was heading back and there was traffic and he couldn't get to his room to pray on his knees because the camels had come to a standstill and it was nose to tail traffic. I don't know what it is, but I want to suggest that we're losing sight if we think that he never ever lost a moment here or there that he could have prayed. And one of, that's one of the reasons many of us are so inconsistent. 
You know why we're so inconsistent? Because we have an all-or-nothing mindset. Any of you failed perfectionists? Uh, I'll pick on my brother. He's not here, but he's a bit of a perfectionist. My mom will know this. She spent time shopping with him. But um, I remember my brother, he got tired of the tiles in his kitchen. And so what he did was he ripped them up. He was tired of it. Um, but he took months to find the right tile, the perfect tile, to replace those tiles. And so for a while, he took away terrible tiles to have concrete everywhere. Until Nadine got sick and tired and bought any tile just so that there would be tiles in the kitchen. Because there's something about being a perfectionist that we can be failed perfectionists and we think, you know what, if I can't do it perfectly, I'm going to do nothing. Have you seen the three-year-old when they're drawing a picture or six-year-old or however old it might be and they're drawing that picture and it's not, it's, and you think this is beautiful, I want to hang it on the wall. Um, no one else agrees with you, but as a parent you feel like that. But the kid doesn't either and so they just tear it up. You know, if it's not perfect, I'm going to get rid of it. And often we can be like that. If I fail one time, well then I'm a failure. So I'm just not going to give it another go. And we tend to do that. And here's the key, if we can put up the next slide. Being consistent isn't the same as being perfect. Being consistent isn't the same as being perfect. You've got to give yourself grace to fail because when you fail in grace, you are falling forward. You've got to give yourself grace to fail because when you fail in grace, you are falling forward. You're not going backward. And so we need to look at this practice and to see it and to embrace it. And uh, I've been talking a lot about husbands and wives and maybe... It's because some of us need to hear this, but even as we look at this and we start to discover, you know, how am I going to pray with my spouse or how am I going to pray with my family? I want to give you a simple um, scenario, a way to approach that prayer, that it gives you grace to fall short a time or two. And it's simply this. Listen, because it's not on the screen and I want you to repeat it. I'll tell you in a moment to repeat it. Keep it simple. Keep it short. If you miss one day, don't miss two. Can you say that with me? Keep it simple. Keep it short. If you miss one day, don't miss two. Why keep it simple? Because if you make it complicated, you're not going to do it. It's, it's that simple. If you make it complicated, you're not going to do it. Why keep it short? Because if you think you've got to do it for hours, you're also not going to do it. But if you think it's going to be short and you lower the bar, then you're going to start. And you're going to say, but George, can't we, can't we make it a bit longer? Yes, you can make it longer. But if the problem is if you think it's longer, then you're not going to pray for shorter. So what we're doing is we're starting with it just being short. And uh, the Harvard Business Review um, email that I get taught me this, because there was someone speaking about how they had been fit, and I think they had been hit by COVID, or, and they didn't know how to get fit again. And they said the way that they started is they couldn't run their 30-minute high endurance like they had done previously. So they had to accept this, they had to plan for that failure, to embrace it, to give themselves grace, and they started running one minute a day. One minute a day. Just run one minute a day. And keep doing that consistently and watch what that becomes, because consistency brings progress. And so we see this outworking. One minute a day. And here's the thing. If you miss a day, don't miss two. You see, if you don't think you can miss a day, then when you do miss a day, because we're all going to fail, we're all going to miss a moment, you're going to think, you know what? We can't pray together. We've missed the day. There's no discipline. We're going to throw it out the window. But here's the thing. I'm giving you permission. You can miss a day, but don't miss two. Don't miss two. So that's the encouragement. And we're going to mess it up, as I've said. But here's the encouragement I want to bring to you. Momentary failure is actually a part of the process. Turn to your spouse if they're here with you, because they need to hear you say this, and you need to hear them say it. Momentary failure is actually a part of the process. 
If you don't trust me, ask Abraham Lincoln. Go read up about him. Go ask Winston Churchill. Read up about him. Go ask the Wright brothers. Read up about them. Go ask the Rock. Uh, Google it. Go ask uh, Jonah or uh, James or John or Peter or Moses or David or you choose. Go and look at them. Momentary failure can be part of the process if you're allowing God's grace to minister to you and you're falling forward, not failing and running backwards. And so here's the thing. The illusion of perfection is often what stops us from getting started. Um, You know, I I don't know about you, but I grew up in the time of the karate kid. Do you remember that? And you wore those little banners. They've come out with a new movie, Cobra Kai, and I'm watching it with my 12-year-old niece and nephew and explaining everything. And my 16-year-old son is like, Dad, why are you watching this? It's like bad acting. I'm saying these were my actors in my day, in my generation. And I'm tempted to preach, and no, I won't. I'm only kidding. But I've got a friend who um, started karate. My mom would not let me do karate. I was bullied on the playground. But my friend is doing karate, and um, he started off with a white belt, and then it goes to like orange and brown and blue and purple, and eventually you get to black belts. And uh, he said that the instructor starts by asking this question, what belt do you think is the most difficult to get? Can I ask you that? What belt is the most difficult to get in karate? His response was, and most people say, obviously, the black belts. His response was, no, the most difficult belt to get is the white belt, because most people never start. It's the white belt. And then he said, what is a black belt? Most people responded, someone we run from. But he said, no, that's not what it is. A black belt is a white belt that was consistent. A black belt is a white belt that never gave up. And so here's the thing. When you be a black belt, when you're armed and dangerous... And let's talk about in the kingdom of God and in the things of the Spirit and in the vows that you've made and the way that you conduct your life. When you're armed and dangerous, it's not saying you never missed a training session. It's saying that there was a consistency to your life that kept pitching up and pursuing God's best for you and those that you represent. And so sometimes you're going to eat the wrong thing or oversleep and not work out or buy something stupid rather than paying off your credit card or look at something you shouldn't look at or you're going to miss reading that... um, verse or that commentary or that devotional and you're going to miss a prayer moment, don't confuse being consistent with being perfect. Point number three, I love this one, fall in love with the process. Fall in love with the process. You know, Daniel was in love with the process. For him, it wasn't about duty, about praying three times a day. For him, it's that he just loved time with God, and he loved that intimacy. He wasn't thinking, oh, no, I've got to get back home, and I've got to get on my knees, and I've got to open those windows, and I've got to pray. He was, there was a delight in his heart to get back and spend time in the presence and in the heart of God. There was a joy in him for that. He was consistently living in a way that honored God because it delighted him. Consistently living in a way that honored God because it delighted him. And here's the mistake that we make when we speak about falling in love with the process, is often we become obsessed with the goal. Think about it in your life. We become obsessed with the goal. We just need to get there. And when I'm there, I'm going to be a success. But that's not what Daniel was modeling. That's not what we see here. There was something about the process. And let's put up the next slide. Here's a powerful quote. You're not successful when you achieve a goal in the future. You're successful when you honor God today. Don't get obsessed with the goal, but start to love the process. Paul said this, and we're all going to face those moments where we're feeling inconsistent and unsure, and we're feeling pushed everywhere, and we're feeling like a failure. Paul said, I don't even understand myself. 
as we read in chapter 7. He was saying, who can deliver me from this body of death, from this body of basically saying inconsistency, where I'm pushed this way and that? Who can deliver me? And then the end of chapter 7 ends off and he says, praise God and praise be to Jesus because he is the one that can empower me to live a life that honors God, consistently pursuing the heart of God in a singular direction and focus with consistency. And then he said, because there's no condemnation and because we led by the Spirit and because there's grace and because even when I fall short, there's nothing that can separate me from the love of God. And so I don't feel like I'm continually chasing. I feel like I'm continually invited into the spacious, beautiful place that it is to live out of God's heart and to live by the values that he has. And so this is what's happening as seven goes into chapter eight of Romans. So here's my question to you as I end. I want you to process this personally, even as we know it has wider consequence. Where is God calling you to be more consistent? What area of your life is he starting to prod? And we heard John speak about the, the finger of God. And I'm not talking about condemnation, I'm talking about confirmation, calling you to be who he's called you to be. What area of your life is he touching? I wanna invite you to pray and to say, Lord, I want you to speak to me. How do you want me to be more consistent? Where can I honor you more? Where can I participate in and partner in your grace more? How can I trust in your faithfulness more and be more full of faith and consistent in that area? Show me, God. Because when you discover that, when you start to discover your wine, your values in them, your decisions become easier. That's why Daniel said, I seek the Lord. It's this decision he made, and he started with why. And there was a place to plan for failure. And he fell in love with the process. And the good news is this, it wasn't success in reaching a goal, but it was success before God in honoring him. So let me pray as we end and ask that question. Father, I just thank you that we can come and just sit in your presence. We are here today because we want to pursue your heart. And Lord, where we, whether we've been inconsistent or where we felt like a failure or where we felt that we unsure or insecure in our relationship with you, we are here today. And we just invite you, Holy Spirit, to start to lead us into the fullness of what you have to us. I thank you that when we want to know who we are and why we are created and our purpose, we come to the Creator. And Father, I pray that you just minister that why to our hearts as you dream, dreamed us into being, purposed us, delighted in us, created us. I pray that you minister that why to hearts. I pray that you instill fresh values, not of culture around us, but of the kingdom of heaven so that we can make easy decisions. And Lord, we pre-decide in this moment, we choose you over any other choice around us. So when that moment hits, we can live lives that are glorifying and honoring you as your grace empowers us to do so. So we thank you, Lord, that you come and have your way in our lives and through us as a community and a people of faith. In Jesus' mighty name, we say amen.